C'è qualcuno là fuori? Benvenuti al Christian Podcast. Oh yeah! My friends, it's another beautiful day in the neighborhood. You guys know me. My name is Beto Gudinho with Christian Podcast. And today is going to be an amazing episode. We're going to talk about a little bit about the benefits of social media fasting. That's like the overall goal. But we're going to have an expert, a sociologist, talking with us about like how distressful digital technologies can be in our lives. So I'm so, so, so excited for this conversation we're going to have today. But before we do that, I want to read a paragraph from the author's book. And the book is right here. I have it in my hands as you're looking at it right now. It's called Restless Devices. And like I always say, I, I do kind of judge a book by its cover. And this one was like, man, I love it. It's like a There's a hand that's disappearing. The device itself, it's, it's transparent. So you can see your own hand. And it's almost like behind the device, there's a human. Like you should be able to see your humanity beyond the device itself. So it's so cool. But then it's, it's kind of like disappearing into like ones and zeros or, you know, kind of like uh, the digital world. So it's so good. So I want to read this excerpt that I think... I'm going to try a new thing here on the show, so we'll see how it goes. If you guys are ready, set your minds on this, okay? I want you to be a little zen right now. Okay, let's breathe in. Breathe out. And the point is that as I read this, it's even going to bring some sort of... Uh, dissonance in your mind okay I hope so here it is page 22 life is constantly being lived elsewhere as our bodies are in one place but our minds and consciousness reside focused on the stuff of our screens our collective consciousness is increasingly one in which no matter where we are or what we are doing, we feel the need to catch up. To catch up on our emails, texts, social media feeds, the news of the day. The internet used to be out there in an exotic frontier called cyberspace. Now the internet is very much in the mundane of our kitchen counters and living rooms, lubricating our social lives and infused into our daily rhythms and habits of being that the comparison of real and virtual from the 1990s simply doesn't make sense anymore. Wow, that's so profound right there. Felicia, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, Felicia, I'm so excited to have you. And like I was saying, I was reading a little bit of your your book and I was hoping it would bring a little bit of dissonance to to people listening, you know, with the background of like like beautiful birds and it's almost like you're in a rainforest mm -hmm. and the reality that that social media it's it's like a part of our daily lives daily rhythms it's in our kitchens it's sometimes in our fridges it's everywhere it's in our hands it's almost like we we can't even detach from it so there's a lot to that but felicia can you tell us like just to introduce yourself tell us a little bit of who you are and what you do yeah sure so i am a professor of sociology um i teach at Westmont College, uh, which is a Christian liberal arts school in California. Um, I've been here nine years, um, and I do research on the social and cultural effects of digital and media technologies. Um, and so I'm interested in how our digital routines impact how we do relationships and how we do community and how we imagine and even understand our identities. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I um, have been teaching, but also writing and thinking about this topic for a while. Wow. Okay. So you're the perfect person to have on our show today, because I think you're an expert in the realities of social media and digital technologies. So as I was saying, I have the book in my hands. And the first thing that I want to do is that I'm doing here on the show lately is that I offer an emoji reaction. So I have emojis that range from blasphemous to divine, and there's like three more in between. And out of those, I feel like, wow, when I read this book, if like if I was on Facebook and I was pushing one of the emojis, if I had my own emojis, which one would I push? And I have this thing called the emoji tombola. So we're going to go to the emoji tombola and just give offer you a reaction out of these five emojis that I have. So are you ready for my reaction to restless devices? Here we go. Looks good. Oh, yeah. So emoji tombola. What's going to be our reaction to restless devices? It's a holy... Emoji, holy emoji reaction. So first of all, Felicia, how do you feel about getting the holy emoji reaction to restless <laughs> devices? I'm just glad I didn't end up in the red, you know? I'm just nervous <laughs> there. You're going to put me in blasphemous. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm glad I'm on that side. <laughs> awesome. That's what people have been concerned lately on my show. It's like, oh, I hope I don't make it to <laughs> blasphemous. There's been a few. I try to make it fun and then, you know, we can talk about it anyways. But yes, I feel like when when I think of the digital technologies, but also when I think of your approach to, well, what really the work that you do in the book, I'm like, wow, so helpful because in a sense you offer tools for people to a little bit like disengage from, from just like the constancy of of living our lives in, in like a digital reality, right? I used to tease people saying that I was the avatar of Beto Gudinho because I feel like when I record an episode, then it's there and it's like, it's not me anymore. It's like my avatar that stays in 
on the internet forever, right? Now I'm doing emoji reactions and whatnot. But <laughs> uh, so I guess the first question I want to ask you, Felicia, and uh, yeah, I'll just make it general. Are souls lost to productivity? Oh, are souls lost to productivity? You you are starting big here. <laughs> <laughs> We just go for it. <laughs> yeah. I think in American society, um, productivity is king, you know? I mean, it's it's where we find our identity and our significance. And I think that is one part of why... Um, our devices and our digital uh, technologies are as appealing and as, as attractive as they are, right? Because they promise mm -hmm. productivity. They, pro they promise the capacity to multitask. They promise the capacity to engage in multi uh, product 24 seven, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. you can do, be doing it while you're waiting online at the checkout, right? You can yes. be productive. Um, and so as to whether our souls are being lost to it, who? You know, I mean, I if we think of productivity as, uh, I'll use an, a kind of old-fashioned word in, in the Christian tradition, an idol, right? Mm. If we think of it as a kind of idol, um, a, a something that we find our significance in, right, ultimately, um, then I think a lot of us are, we're, we're drawn to it, right? We're trapped because um, we're, we're serving the idol of productivity, Um, but it's not giving us a lot back, right? Mm. Um, and it's, it's failing a lot of us now. I think, um, a lot of us are super tired. We're exhausted. We know it's unsustainable, mm -hmm. but we don't know what to do. So I think, um, you know, if your question is about discipleship in the end of the day, you know, like are people of faith really needing to struggle right against mm. the, um, the idol of uh, productivity, you know, there's nothing wrong with being productive. It's when it's mm -hmm. an idol, right? Yeah. Um, that then it becomes destructive. Wow. That's so good. So uh, I'm a communications guy. I have a degree in communications from a university in Mexico. And so I remember, and this, this was like 20 years ago when I was going there, even though I graduated 20 years later, it's long story, but uh, that's for another day. <laughs> But it's so interesting to just witness how technology and communications have shifted in the last in the last 20 years, right? It's yes. been happening like since the last 100 years, but it's been so rapidly changing as we enter like the new century. So I love how sometimes in the book you you talk about like the the story of the internet and like the the, the main characters that have participated in it. And even like the, the predictions as the internet was starting and then kind of like, okay, looking back 30 years later or you know, however many years the internet has been around, uh, kind of like, okay, this is where we got it right. This is where we got it wrong. Let's step back a little bit and tell me, like, what have you witnessed? Where can you tell us, like, I, I think this is where we're not so bad. I think this is where we're, we're really bad. And just in a broad <laughs> perspective, like... What have you witnessed in terms of the progress of the internet? Yeah. Um, yeah, so back in the day um, when the internet was kind of hit the mainstream, 
think there's a lot of hope that it would um, connect us to each other, right? Enable us to to be in touch with people who are who are geographically far. Um, that it would empower people who usually don't have much of a platform, right? Um, and are, are often marginalized in society. Um, and that um, it would free us from our bodies, right? And all the limitations of our bodies. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think those predictions came true, right? Like mm. we can communicate instantaneously uh, with people on the other side of the world. Um, there are so many voices now that can, in theory, be mm. heard on the internet, though we have wow. to, uh, all those voices are having to, you know, try to cut through a lot of noise, right? Wow. Um, and in, in many ways, um, we can do so much more um, when we're not dragging our bodies around with us, right? Um, but at the same time, with all of that said, I think there, you know, I think the early predictions was that when we got all those three things, like everything would be better. Like people would understand each other. We would live harmoniously. Um, all the authoritarian powers um, uh, would be toppled, right? Democracy would reign. Um, and, you know, we look around today, uh, well, and like everyone would be happy, right? We look around today and we're like, wow, uh, you know, geopolitically, it's a total disaster around the world. Um, interpersonally, right? A lot of people actually feel incredibly lonely, right? Mm. Um, even though we have these connections with people um, online. And um, even the marginalized voices, right? Even though there are ways to gain voice and gain platform, um, it's still incredibly challenging when you're, when you're up against other institutions that have a lot more resources um, in a lot of different ways. And so... I think there is definitely benefits. You know, there's no way around that, right, um, to our new digital lives. Um, but the costs that we experience and the costs that so many of us, I think, increasingly feel are very real also. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so good. So some of the, um, yeah, like what, what like I, I can picture when, the iPhone was starting and, you know, people started having like a, a computer in your hands versus, you know, a phone where you would call people and maybe text people. That was you know, what it used to be for to, yeah. to now you have like an entire computer in your hands. And then I yes. remember like the very first images that we were getting from around the world was, you know, people staring at the screen on the streets like mm -hmm. all the time, right? You're waiting for a bus and you're looking at the screen. You're walking in the street. You're looking at the screen, like everywhere looking at the screen. And it, I guess back in the days, there was this sense of, are, are we becoming like zombies, right? Like like mm -hmm. people who are not paying attention to to the surroundings, like so focused, like you're, you're there, but your mind is somewhere else. Like mm -hmm. we were reading at the beginning. And, mm -hmm. and it, uh, I don't know, like, do, do you think that's, like people are now used to seeing that that it it doesn't shock us anymore. Do you think there's mm -hmm. there's a little bit of that? Why do you think uh, are some of those things we're we're giving up? Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Um, 
Yeah, I think in the beginning, um, we were surprised, you know, and we kind of laughed at people that ran into, you know, uh, streetlights or oh, yeah. something or, <laughs> or tripped over the curb, right? Yeah. Um, but what's so interesting, I think, about human beings is that we adapt, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that we adapt in a healthy way or that adapt- adaptation is good. It's just that we kind of normalize, right? We get used to things. And so I think we've kind of gotten used to people just looking at their phones and not being aware or been really present to the people around them. We do that even with our friends, right? Like we let them, like we give them permission to ignore us, right? Mm. When there's a notification and we're having a conversation and we're just like, oh, no, 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 go ahead, check your notification, right? Like there's this very interesting way in which we have all come to really privilege what happens on the screen over and Mm. above the things that are happening proximate to us, whether it's the people or what's happening on the street. Um, And I think that is something that is to me really troubling um, in that um, what's happening on our screens seems to be more important than my family member who's talking to me Mm. or my best friend who's trying to have a conversation with me. Um, Our brains are, um, not only are we kind of adapting to certain social norms, but our brains, right, are being trained um, and and um, in, in such a way that we kind of compulsively respond to our screens now, right, over and above um, a human being who is with us um, or what's happening um, around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you talk about some of like the, the psychological uh, treats behind the way these devices functioned um, on your book. And like, for example, you talk about the Skinner box, mm-hmm. uh, the iron cage rationality. You, you, there's a phrase called ner- networked individualism. Um, you talk about the Jesus phone, that it was one of the first phrases when, <laughs> when the iPhone came out. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit of like, those psychological elements Mm -hmm. that are behind like these technologies that are Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, I guess the, the, the thing is that they are made to get our almost like our full and complete attention, right? Like, Mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit, maybe even just like, what is the Skinner box um, example or the, the, the test or whatever that was? Yeah. So the Skinner box is, um, a, um, experiment or research that was done by B.F. Skinner, who is a behavioral psychologist, who was, who was seeing if he could train a rat um, to engage in certain behaviors. And so the Skinner box involved a rat that had to press a lever to get food, right? And what Skinner discovered was that he could train the rat more effectively when um, every time, when the rat pressed the lever, there wasn't food that came every single time, right? It came intermittently, right? It would sometimes come, it would sometimes not come. And it was that intermittent sort of delivery of the benefit, the positive reinforcement, right? Of pressing the lever to get the food. It was that intermittent um, infrequent pattern that actually trained the rat more effectively to constantly press the lever, 
right? And the idea is that, you know, this is kind of depressing, but we're comparing ourselves to rats, right? Human beings are like rats, right? <laughs> Great. Like we can be, <laughs> right? We can be trained, right? Um, conditioned to constantly, you know, quote unquote, press a lever. You might think of that as check our social media feeds or, or, you know, I always gesture to my students, you know, when we take our thumbs and we scroll down, right, to refresh, right? We, we're constantly trying to refresh the feed to see if there's a new post or we get some new response, right? We do that more when we actually don't get a positive response or don't get any response every single time, right? And that's why we check so constantly because sometimes we check and nothing's happened, right? And we're like, ah, I got to check again 30 seconds later, maybe something's happened. <laughs> um, yes. And so, you know, I mean, I think I'm saying something that we all experience, like I experience mm -hmm. it all the time, right? Um, and so the idea is we get conditioned in such a way that we get to the point where we don't even realize we're doing it. You know, we don't mm -hmm. even realize we're checking. We don't even know why we're checking anymore. We just got habituated, right? And the idea is that Silicon Valley, these tech companies, when they built these platforms, these services, they went to this research. They said, hey, human beings work this way. Let's build something that has the same kind of intermittent positive reinforcement so that people will keep coming back um, and, and can be, we can train people right? Um, to, to constantly be checking our sites um, and our services. Wow. So we are rats. We are like rats. <laughs> Let's say we are like rats. <laughs> we behave <laughs> like rats, basically. Thank you, Skinner. Um, okay. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that I want to cover, but uh, I, I guess another fun phrase that you use in the book was the the jesus well that some people were referring to the iphone as the jesus phone but then yeah. also almost like this this comparison with uh maybe as christians or people of faith or believers um uh, almost like this comparison while like wow it, who is the lord now right mm -hmm. like this device that's getting my attention so much it's it's it really becoming almost like an idol or my Lord. Can you elaborate a little bit about you know, what that phrase, the Jesus phone means to you or you know, how, yeah. how you approach it? Yeah, sure. So um, when the first Apple fans bought the iPhone, I think it was a four or six, um, they call it the Jesus phone because they're just amazed by it. They're like, wow, it does everything, right? Mm. Um, and so it's just a fun name. But I think for people of faith, it's, it's actually really powerful, ironic, type of name um, because I think it, it is very similar to one's relationship with Jesus in that um, when we do let the device into our life, right? Um, gradually, it seems to transform us, right? Like nobody's forcing us to check our email, check our text messages. No one's coercing us to do that, right? But gradually, you know, when we when I look through the years of my relationship with my phone, it's like I I've used it more and more in my life. I've I've let it enter into more and more parts of my life, right? Um, and it's impacting me, right? It's it's on my mind, right? I think about what might be happening on social media, what may be happening in my messages as the notification goes off. Right. Um, thinking about the emails that I have to write, even when I'm not on the device. And I think for people of faith, 
in many ways, that's that's an interesting parallel, right, um, to the role that um, our following of Jesus um, theoretically should take. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's so good. And I want to talk uh, in a little bit. I want to talk about almost like the you call it the theological anthropology and maybe we can get a little bit more into like the theological elements mm-hmm. uh, of this, of these ideas. But, uh, but first there's, there's a phrase that you have on page 19 that I thought, Oh, this is so good. It says most prominently being connected today is closer to a state of consciousness, a human condition than a discrete behavior. Mm-hmm. And is that the metaverse? Is <laughs> like a, a state of like collective consciousness somewhere out there in a realm floating yeah. in cyberspace? Uh, well, you know, uh, when I was writing the book, the metaverse wasn't really on the radar <laughs> mm. yet. Um, I wasn't quite thinking about the metaverse. I think I was more interested in the ways that um, we think about we tend to think about our relationships with our devices in terms of when we're actually looking at our screens, right? Like Mm. when we're actually looking at our phone or we're looking at our Apple watch or whatever it might be. Right. Um, But I want to argue that it's not simply the times when we're actually picking up the phone and looking at it Mm. that is impacting us. In fact, we are, a part of our spirit, our part of our consciousness is actually already dedicated to wondering, to worrying, to planning what we're going to post, right? Um, or what someone has already said about our post. Um, and it's in, it's so deep in such a way that, you know, here's an example. You see a beautiful sunset, Right. And automatically, what do we do now? We don't like actually look at the sunset <laughs> and just take it in. What do we do? Yes. We take a picture of it. And yes. We post it, right? <laughs> and it because doesn't look like, as good. Never. <laughs> it never does, right? But it's it's sort of like we have come to become people who think that to appreciate the sunset, actually to do that is to post it, right? Mm. And so that suggests that we're we're constantly already – in that space, even when we're not even looking at our screens. Mm-hmm. Wow. And oof, it's, we do it, right? We're all culpable of, of, of doing these things. And the thing is like, it, there's that desire, like you were saying, of, of connectivity, of, you know, this, this is the promise of the digital technologies that we are now. And I'll, I'll talk about it in a little bit, you know, when you talk about boredom, but almost like this promise of, we can all be in that connectedness and it's just so interesting you know like like the good side of it is like we do want to share something that's yes. beautiful we do want to share something we're experiencing that it's meaningful and that mm-hmm. we think oh everybody should experience what i'm experiencing because it's meaningful right but it's almost like the more you do it and the more it's out there, like the perfect example, I love like going to concerts. It's like nobody's enjoying the concert anymore. <laughs> Everybody's on their cell phone, like taking the video of the guy performing. Like, are you guys there to, to have a video so that you can watch it later or just put it down and like let the music like move you and touch your body and like flow through you? 
Uh, but it's so common, right? Like every single person is like on their phones, lifting it up. And wow, the, there's a lot right there. So uh, I love how you said any sustainable change in the digital landscape will require collective and organizational effort. Mm. Um, and then I, I, I wrote this phrase. I, it might be from your book because I didn't put the page. But it says... Any no, I just read that. Uh, maybe what we need is not so much more knowledge about technology, but more knowledge and understanding about being human. Mm. And I think that's where you know, the theological anthropology mm. has a, mm. a role to play, right? So can you, now that we know, you know, we're all using these technologies, it's, it's in a sense, it's damaging our relationships. Um, what does, how does this, uh, is it like academy or, uh, well, whatever it is, theological anthropology, how does that mm. have a role in, mm. in maybe helping us yeah. bring this collectiveness effort or this collective effort to, to be, to be human again? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, when we are feeling discontent or exhausted or stressed out by our digital lives, it's, it can often be just very difficult to figure out what's going on, right? Because we're just overwhelmed and we don't know how to make it stop. We don't know what to do with ourselves um, to get unstuck, right? Because um, like you said, everyone's doing it. Right. And uh, there's no models, right. To like, well, what am I supposed to do when I go to that concert and everyone's recording? Like, how, how do I be the person that just listens? Like, how do you actually do that? And I think some of it, right. Or a big part of it is rooted in needing to come to grips with what kind of life we actually want to live. Right. And when I, so I teach college students and one of the questions I ask them when um, I teach this class called internet and society, and we're talking about these issues, I say, Hey, you know, you guys are young now, lots of opportunities before you, but when you get old, right, when you get old and you're looking back at your life, what do you want to see? Right. Yeah. What do you, what do you hope that, that when you look back, what do you hope to see? You know, and I tell them, and I bet you none of you are going to be like, oh, I'm going to, I hope when I look back, I'm going to see this, you know, social media presence where I had all these followers, you know, like, or I spent all this time, you know, um, texting, you know, whatever. Like, that's not what all of us are like. When I look back, I want to see my, like, really beautiful relationships with my family, with my friends, meaningful experiences, like adventures around the world, right? Like those are the things that we all talk about. Um, and that, when we, when we answer that question, what do I hope to see when I look back at my days when I'm old, right? That starts to get at the question of what do we think being human really is, right? And this, this fancy term, theological anthropology, it's just fancy language for saying it, it, it's a study of what do we think it means to be human? That's the anthropology part in relationship 
to the divine, to God. That's the theological part, right? So when we are in, when we are taking into consideration, right, the reality of God, what do we think being human actually means, right? Um, and I love that you actually paired the collective, the point about the collective and this anthropology, um, because I think that gets at something very essential, right? That, that being human is relational, right? Um, but not merely in a, hey, I post one picture, you post one picture, and we hit like, right? <laughs> or we send each other a nice emoji, right? Like, we all know that's nice and that's satisfying, but we also know, like, we want more, right? Like, we want more than that, right? Um, and when people have great relationships online and when they're finally able to be in person together, spend a weekend together, right? It's not always perfect, but usually it's better, right? Right? A lot of times we're like, ah, this is really, this is, this is it, you know? Um, and even when it's not great, even when it's hard sometimes in our relationships with each other um, and we struggle through them, you know, there's still meaning in there, right? As we work through those struggles together, right? Um, and so I think when it comes to, to, to figuring out, well, what do I do with my digital life? How do I change it in such a way that, that I'm not so stressed out or I'm not exhausted? It, it has to start with what do we think being human is? Um, do we think it's about relationships? Do we think it's about being in our bodies? Right. Um, do we think it has something to do with being in relationship with God, um, the divine? And if so, you know, if we check yes on all those things, um, then the next question is, well, what are we going to do about it? <laughs> you know, like, how am I going to start living in a way so that when I'm 80 or when I'm 90, I look back, I'm actually like, hey, that was all right. You know, like I lived, I lived the way that I, I really hoped that I could. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I couldn't agree more because I, so for example, this is my own confession. And I love how even in the book, you, you almost like introduce the book by saying that a lot of people come to you to confess because they find out that you, you work in this realm of social media and you know, the device devices and technology and sociology. So anyways, my confession is yes, I feel like when, for example, Instagram started whenever like 30, 13 years ago or so, or mm -hmm. 10 and my my goal was like what a cool place to start posting pictures and this could be my my album of pictures that when i look back okay this is this has been my life and there's i think there's still an element of that but then i thought you know as as things have progressed and now there's way more apps way more social media uh opportunities with all kinds of stuff right mm -hmm. i was like okay the Instagram is not going to be around forever. The people are going to come up with a new invention. People are going to bring like the greatest and latest. And then all these pictures that I'm thinking, oh, I'm, <laughs> this is where I'm going to look. And then at some point, even Instagram said, you know what? You don't own your pictures anymore. Yeah. Now we own your pictures. It's like, okay, I can even download my pictures in a good resolution anymore because they're not mine anymore. <laughs> so uh, I kind of like gave that up and realized there's going to be a more analog way to do these things. So that's my confession. And I want to talk about uh, 
you you talk about almost like life hacks as as like okay as humans and and we're becoming so like i was saying you know um, what was the first thing i was saying that we are losing our souls to productivity right mm -hmm. so it's almost like this this sense of like oh whatever life hack that can make me you know perform triple and you know mm -hmm. be better at this or be better at that i'm i'm going to pursue it you know and so you have this Well, I want to talk about the Trinity too, but first, uh, you have a, a a saying for from Hannah Hirand, and it's about the launch of the first satellite, and she was saying that it's like a rebellion against human existence, as it has been given a free gift, which he wishes to exchange as it if it were. Uh, as it were, for something he has made himself. Uh, so almost like this idea of life hack of, you know, a satellite is going to make us better, it's going to make us connect. And this was from like 1958 or something, right? Mm -hmm. When when this person mm -hmm. wrote this. Uh, so way before, you know, like all these internet capabilities mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, but tell me a little bit about these life hacks where, where we, it's almost... In, in in the sense of like rebellion, like rebellion against mm -hmm. human existence as it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that quote by Hannah Arendt is is so interesting um, because it gets at the heart of so many of our dissatisfactions as human beings. Like, like it's a drag that we can only be in one place at one time, you know? Like, I always tell my kids that. If mm. I could have one superpower, I would have the superpower of bilocation, you know? So I could be <laughs> at two places at once and be doing things wow. separate, you know, two places. Yes. Um, uh, you know, got to tell Marvel to come up with something like that. Um, yes. But, uh, but the thing about being a Christian and the theological anthropology is, is actually coming to a place of, of accepting our humanity in all of its potential and all of its limitations, right? Mm. That is that as human beings, we, we are created with bodies that were meant to occupy a particular time, a particular place, and, and there is limitations, right? That we can't do everything and more. We can only do so much. We all have to sleep, right? And we all have to eat to survive and to thrive. Um, and so many of us, I think, have lived into um, a, um, an expectation that, hey, oh man, if I could just sleep less and I could eat less, I could just keep on getting things done, right? That would be a better life, right? But I think the scriptures actually tell us, right? And, and even in the incarnation of Jesus as a human being, right? It suggests that, no, 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 like it's actually good. Like, it is good to want to eat, it is good to want to sleep. Like these are gifts, right? mm. resting and eating. These are gifts of time, gifts of experience. And so instead of resisting it um, and fighting against it, What would, you know, my book is basically asking, like, what would it be like to actually accept and kind of lean into some of this stuff, right? 
um, and lean into the rest that God wants to give us as a gift. Lean into the enjoyment of food, right? Um, and often food eaten with friends and family, right? In communion with others. There's something holy about that. Um, that, that there's so much meaningfulness and fulfillment, right? That doesn't come from productivity, right? In fact, comes from things in our lives that often feel fairly unproductive, um, but in fact are, are truly fulfilling because that's how we were created as human beings. Wow. That's so good. Love it. And there's, well, I have so many phrases that I wrote down, <laughs> but I also want to get to our, you know, our part where we talk about from blasphemous to divine, which is your opportunity to to go through the emoji reactions. So I'm going to choose right now one of the the topics that that uh, I found like super helpful when you talk about the Trinity and and kind of like your understanding of what the Trinity meant. And it, it was almost mm -hmm. like I, like you were saying, I kind of knew what it meant, you know, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then you quote Colin Gunton, Mm -hmm. who says God's very essence consists of being in relationship. Like mm -hmm. the Trinity, like that's the essence of what it means to be a triune God, that he is in relationship. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if therefore we are created in his image, well, there's, mm -hmm. there's a sense of like our essence should be relationship too, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I think to me, like that sum up, like the whole, the whole theological argument is like, oh, oof. That's solid. So can you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, what it meant for you to discover what the Trinity is in, mm. in that relationship realm? Yeah, you know, I grew up in a space where talking about the Trinity was just some sort of like philosophical kind of debate, you know, kind of like, well, how do you get three things in one? And, you know, batting around the philosophical, logical boundaries of that. And, and when I came to discover that, um, to think about and to imagine the Trinity as not merely a philosophical problem to solve, but actually this really beautiful picture of relationality, right? Where, you, where it would be possible for three um, beings to actually be one right? Um, that they are intertwined with each other, that they, their identities depend on each other and that they're distinct still, right? You know, I just think the puzzle of how it works in the Trinity is so much the puzzle that we're working through, the challenge of what we're working through in contemporary culture, right? It's just like, how, yeah. do, how do you let people be distinct different mm -hmm. from each other and still be in unity, right? I mean, that's the question of the church, right? That's like through the ages. It's just like, how do you let people be of different cultures, be of different ethnicities, be of different political ideologies and still be unified, right? Um, and the Trinity says, well, you know, this is actually what it's about. You know, you, you don't require everyone to become homogenous, right, to be the same, to do exactly the same thing. Um, but it's actually needing to let each other be fully 
who they are in their diversity, right, in their particular identity, right, um, in Christ, um, that we can experience actually what it what being in relationship with God is, right, and so it's I think to me it's um, exciting, right? It's sort of like wow, I it gives me hope, right, that that we we have a God that understands difference, that actually lives into that and finds more fulfillment, right, out of difference than um, sameness. Mm. Um, that, that gives me hope. Wow, so good. Well, thank you for elaborating on that. And yeah, that was one of my favorite. Um, uh, mm. I, I think it spoke to me personally, like, oh, what a great, like, vision of, of how the mm. Trinity works and how it can be reflected in us as humans. And mm. so I have a, 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 there's a phrase by one of the bands I love named mm. Kings of Leon. And they have mm. this phrase in one of their songs that says, take the time to waste the moment. It's almost <laughs> like a paradox right there, right? <laughs> like an oxymoron, like take the time to waste the moment. But in this I guess this is, before we go to the emojis, uh, what would be one of the the main benefits? Like, I've, I know, for example, like you're talking in the book about like giving up Facebook, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. uh, so is there, is there like, if you do this one thing, it's going to be so helpful in this way, <laughs> like the the main benefit of social media fast of of giving up maybe an app or your notifications or uh, is there like one thing you would call people or invite them to if you do this you're going to experience this thing mm. or is there too much <laughs> uh, well i i do shy away from prescribing a plan right because I, i do think we we are really different each of us has really different relationships with technology and and we're drawn to it in different ways you know um which is why in the book i suggest experiments um like, like we got to try different things to figure out what works for us but i do think one general principle that i think might be helpful is um finding a way to start our day without any devices And, and what I mean is like 10 minutes, you know, like when I wake up the first 10 minutes, if I can just spend it, not looking at my phone, not looking at my feed, not looking at my text, not looking at my calendar, not looking at, right. There's 10 minutes where I actually feel the slippers that I walk in, smell the coffee that I'm drinking, actually see what is outside the window. Right. Um, take a couple breaths like you started this uh, episode with, mm. right? Um, just a little bit of grounding, you know, and we all have different things, you know, for some of us, we might, you know, want to stretch. We might want to listen to a song. We might want to play a song if anyone out there is talented, right? But like doing the thing that's 10 minutes that just lets you enter into your body, be present um, before you let, all of it come in um, on the phone. And for some of us, that might mean having to get an alarm clock. This is what my students always tell me because they wake up, they touch their phones because it's their alarm clock. 
And I'm like, well, maybe you need to get an analog alarm clock, like old school, <laughs> yes. right? So you can put your phone somewhere else um, and wake up and spend 10 minutes without it. Yeah. Wow. So good. Okay. So we are going to go from blasphemous to divine based on our emoji reactions. And I'll give you one of them. This is mine. This is my own idea that I was thinking as we were talking. I'm like, okay, I'll give you a free, a freebie with blasphemous. I was thinking, <laughs> no, as we were talking about being present, I thought the most blasphemous technology that we could ever invent would be teleportation. As you were talking about, I wish I could be in all kinds of places. I'm like, if one day, for whatever reason, that becomes a reality, I think that's the end of humanity. <laughs> like, oh, oh, like we are in big trouble. Teleportation would be like, oh, we lose ourselves. But <laughs> what would be your blast, the most blasphemous idea that you can think of when it comes uh, to social media or the digital age and technology? This is a question for me? Yes. Mm. Ooh. Um, I think it would be, you know, you, you joked about the metaverse. I, um, I think the most blasphemous thing, <laughs> kind of this is along your lines, um, is if we could actually, like, know what other people are actually thinking mm. um, through our technologies. That, that would be really bad. Like if we could wow. read each other's minds, yes, um, that would be a real mind trip that would go very badly. <laughs> wow. Okay. Good. That's yeah. blasphemous right there. Um, a skeptical, and a skeptical idea, or what are you skeptical of when it comes to the digital age and technology and devices? Um, I think I would be skeptical about our technology, our, the tech company's capacity to know what's good for us. Mm. Um, I just think that most of the folks that are making the decisions haven't spent enough time looking at history, thinking about um, the vulnerabilities that people actually experience in their lives um, to, to be careful. Right, to be careful about the kinds of technologies that they promote. Mm, so good. All right, let's move on to inspired emoji. Where do you see something that inspires you or inspiration or something that you feel like it's inspired in this realm? Hmm. Um, you know, my first thought, and this is about church life, my first thought went to uh, there's a movement that I recently learned about where um, there are churches that are starting up that are about eating together, right? Mm. Like when they get together, they don't do like all the standard Sunday worship stuff. Like mm. they get together and they actually eat. Like that is the time to do church together. Wow. Um, not like after service, not down in the basement, like mm. eating together. And that strikes me as getting something very right that I don't know a whole lot about, but I'd love to learn more about. Wow. Yeah, that's inspiring right there. So good. Okay. Something holy when it comes to technology, the digital age and devices. 
can I say that when when uh, when we actually set it aside, we might actually experience some holy moments sometimes. Mm. <laughs> um, so the abstinence. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and again, you know, not like full on. I mean, it could just be ten minutes, right? Mm. Uh, where it's like we we create a little time, we protect that time where we we can have our eyes open to a bit of holiness that's that's like right in front of us you know whether it's in a person or something in nature it's just right there wow so good yeah i love it love it love it love it okay so the last is divine what is like the most divine idea when it comes to <laughs> to social media digital age technology hmm Ooh. Hmm. I don't know. That, that one's a hard one, Beto. Um, <laughs> I, I think that um, there are a lot of good intentions that our technologies have been created for. Um, and that's what makes it so tricky. Um, cause you know, these technologies, social media were created to, to help us connect. Um, and there's been a lot of good. Um, but at the same time, I think it is, it is in our over-reliance and in the ways that these technologies have been, have been designed to condition us to over-reliance, um, that, um, we kind of lose an appetite for the divine actually, um, mm. Is kind of scary to me, um, but I think what's exciting, uh, maybe this gets back to inspired, is I think especially young people, um, even though they're they're growing up in it, I think they they might see more clearly because there's a hunger for the divine that I see in a lot of my students, and when they taste it, they're like, yeah, I want more of this. So that that's exciting to me. Wow, there it is. Wow, my friends, what a ride. What an amazing episode with Felicia. Felicia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being on the show. Can you point people to, you know, where they can find your book, your work, get to know you a little more, maybe not on Facebook, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have a personal website. It is FeliciaWooSong.com. Uh, you could also find me as a faculty member at Westmont College that has the same sort of link. Um, but the book's being sold at all the regular places. Um, you could also find it directly from InterVarsity Press where it's published. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks. It's been great. Thank you.